Welcome to episode 8 of Efshar Levere, a podcast about evidence in Psak in Rav Moshe Feinstein's Igrut Moshe. We're just uh, we're analyzing um, cases in Igrut Moshe where he says you cannot decide until you have all the evidence, or you must decide even though you don't have all the evidence, or you may decide even though you don't have all the evidence. What I want to do this week is review some of what we learned um, about the cases where you cannot decide because you don't have all the evidence. I want to make clear that the first thing is there are, that it's not that you don't have enough evidence to decide. This only comes up in cases where if there were no more evidence, the evidence you have is sufficient. So it's not that, you, it's not that the evidence you have is not dispositive, it's just that more evidence exists, and the question is, do you have to wait? Rav Moshe generally says that that means that uh, there isn't even a miyot hamatsui, right? So there's a, right, so if it's rov, a, a formal robe, then of course you can decide on a deraisa level. If there isn't even a mir hamatsui, so now there's no drabanan issue with deciding. Um, but if there's still a chashash be'alma, uh, he calls it, which we'll have to at some point, and as he says, right, there has to be still something reasonable. It can't be that any infinitesimal choice, perhaps. But if there's still some kind of chashash be'alma less than a mir hamatsui, so then we say that um, if it's efshar livure, <coughs> if you can still clarify more, then you have to, and Rav Moshe said, except that um, there are reasons you wouldn't have to. So, one case of Igor Moshe Yeridea Aleph Ayin Bet from fifty-seven eighteen. So that's talking about shotness checking. So Rav Moshe said that um, ordinarily, if there is this chashash be'alma that the garment that you are either purchasing or selling to a Jew. Um, contains shotness, so then you have a chiv to check rather than wear it. However, um, he said that if you lose money because your customers will go somewhere else, so then so long as it's not a midamatsoi, you can sell uh, a Jewish customer a, a non-shotness checked um, suit. Uh, then when he, and in 5723, Igret Moshe uh, Yeridea talking about gelatin made from skin, uh, so he says that all sorts of reasons that it's perfectly um, permitted, but the, those all add up to the claim that it is not no same time, it doesn't give time, and the question of whether it gives time, he says, you can test with a, uh, by having someone not Jewish taste it. Uh, or alternatively, um, right, since he's really dealing with the question of milk and fleshik, you can um, have people tested in ways that won't raise a kashras issue. So he says, Maybe you have to test uh, whether, in fact, it gives taste, even halachically you have grounds for concluding that it doesn't. And he offers an interesting formulation. So it's not that there's a doubt and you have to clarify the doubt. Even though you would have enough evidence to resolve the issue, if you can gain um, even greater clarity, and maybe it matters in this case you can really gain absolute clarity, um, then he says, it, you can't, it's irrelevant that you have enough evidence to decide a doubt, because there is no, right, the doubt only arises once you have obtained all the evidence you have. Until then, you can't even classify it as a doubt. What you have is uh, an open investigation. It's an interesting formulation. Again, in 5723, Moshe Evan Bet Yud, dealing with the question of whether. Um, whether one has to consider that a, uh, a woman who believes herself to be married to a non-Jew, whether whether you have to consider the possibility that in fact she was, um, she was married to a Jew. So he says, all women begin with a presumption of non-marriage unless we know otherwise. This woman came and told us 
that the, her husband was not a Jew, so that maintains her, right? So unless there was a public uh, suspicion that she was married to a Jew, so we can rely on the um, Chazaka. But he says, I'll right and therefore you can allow her to remarry because you're really relying on on the presumption that she was never married halakhically. However, he says, But nonetheless, whatever you can do to clarify, you have to. And therefore he thinks that the rabbi asking the question um, did something worthwhile. That he, uh, he didn't, the, the rabbi question didn't go back and he didn't find the husband and then interrogate the husband to see if the husband was Jewish. He made the woman swear that what she was saying was true. So there's a, this is, a, I think, a less absolute uh, claim. Right? He didn't claim, and it's not, you know, and until you made the woman swear, it wasn't a suffix. I don't know that he would have criticized the rabbi if he hadn't. And I think that the, probably the distinction between the cases, one possibility is, one possibility is that um, there is no um, ap- possibility of absolute clarity, the way there is in the Jolton case, there's actually a test. Um, it's also possible he thinks the odds are lower in this case. It's possible he thinks that a chazaka is better than the arguments he had in that case. But my suspicion is that the core thing is uh, that we have to clarify whether Esher Levara means that there is more evidence you could you could arrive at that would absolutely resolve the issue. It's just you think that the odds are very low that that new evidence will reach a different conclusion than you have already. And cases where you can't resolve it at all, all you can do is um, add a little bit to your certainty. So this, right? So in the gelatin case, it was just a test. You could find out uh, whether it gave taste or not. Um, but here, there at least what the um, what the what the rabbi did doesn't really offer um, a great. It doesn't doesn't offer absolute clarity. So I think that Ramosha probably is, would make that distinction, although we haven't seen him make it formally yet. In uh, 5727, even Ezra Gimel Aleph, um, Ramosha talks about the question of whether uh, we require a head to marry in order to uh, allow a man to remarry once his wife has already remarried um, to a uh, remarried remar- non-Jew. Um, so he says, look, there, there, he doesn't think that's the case, but what do you have to clarify that, what do you need to actually clarify that she, mar- that, um, she married uh, the non-Jew um, and that she actually did something that, um, in the process of that marriage that uh, that she uh, she committed a sexual act and in fact forbade her to her current husband, which would, he, in, in his mind, uh, in his position, would um, relieve the relieve the husband of the necessity to get a hetamir um, So he says, look, and to find out whether this woman who who under civil law married a non-Jew is still married to him which would create a presumption that they in fact slept together and so she's a surah, as opposed to the you know, the possibility that she married him civilly but but then left him before they had an opportunity to consummate the civil marriage. You can easily clarify this. And although I see no need for this, why not do it? So we have really three categories. A, it's not a suffix, you have to do it. B, it's good to do it. And C, I don't know why you have to do it, but okay. Um, and um, in that case, I suspect, again, it's that there's a chazaka, um, that if you married somebody civilly that you've slept with them, and he thinks that's a very powerful chazaka. And I guess what we would say is that uh, the difference between a chazaka 
Um, and other forms of evidence is that chazakas are not percentage issues, right? Chazakas are just declarative judgments. So you can't say there's really, on a formal halachic level, if you're making the decision based on chazaka, there is no suffix to still be mevar, as opposed to if you use rov, maybe there still is. Um, talk about what it means for rov to be vadeh, if you certainly if you're using an array of uh, circumstantial evidence, no matter how or- overwhelming the circumstantial evidence is, on a on the level of halachic statistics, you can still talk about um, gaining um, greater clarity. All right, the last time, um, actually two times ago, uh, episode six, we talked about the question of clarifying the um, clarifying that um, someone has actually died. Interesting question. We talked about inverting brain death. Like, what, maybe you can't declare death until you've brought in a whole battery of um, complex equipment to test every single organ to see if there's that might provide a sign of life. Uh, this question actually came up, Lamasa, for me recently. Um, so Ramosha says that ordinarily you can declare death on the basis of sufficient evidence. We don't require you um, to go beyond the halachic standards uh, for, uh, for declaring death. However, that's only when there is no possibility of saving the person. But when we're talking about whether you can be Mechal Shabbos, um, so then he says, you can't give up the, the search um, just because you find a body and the body is probably dead. Um, and he explains that that's the machloket as to how far you, whether you, che- whether you check for, um, for um, respiration even after you don't hear, you don't hear a heartbeat. Because um, he says you might think that you don't have to clarify further. You can just say, okay, probably dead and it's Shabbos. Um, because Shabbos doesn't prov- the fact that it would be us around Shabbos if there were not Pikuach Nefesh uh, doesn't make this impossible to clarify. Um, since you're in the context of Pikuach Nefesh, you, um, you still have the possibility of clarifying, and in the context of Pikuach Nefesh, then you have an obligation to clarify to the utmost whether, the, uh, whether the, in fact, there is still um, life and a chance of saving it. And it's at least an interesting, um, interesting situation where, in some case, where the, the standards for saving are higher than the standards for uh, for burying, in a sense. It's interesting, interesting um, tshuva. Okay, um, what we're talking about uh, this this episode is a tshuva from 5731. Uh, this is Igros Moshe Orachayim, Chelek Gimel, from Rabbi Yaakov Dardak. The question is, if you have um, utensils of the kind that require tzvila, and um, there's a suffix, if they have been made in a Jewish factory and therefore don't require tefillah, um, so you tell them with a bracha, you tell them, can't tell them with a bracha if there's a if there's a suffix. So the question is, can you tell them without a bracha, uh, or even not tell them, um, or um, or do you have to uh, investigate all the way? So Moshe says, um, generally what we say is make it right. right if there's a, if there's a suffix, so then you tell them without a bracha. And if they're glass, he says, which he holds, the, right, the tefillah is only, there is a chiv tefillah, but it's the Rabbanan. Uh, then he says, yesh makom l'hakel, there is space to be lenient. Shalol hatsrich tefillah klal, that you don't have to tovel these kalim at all. The suffix the Rabbanan l'kula. However, he says, aval kevan shirov p'amim efshar levarer, but because in most cases you can clarify it. So I think when he says that it's suffix the Rabbanan l'kula, what he really means is there isn't even a Amir uh, Hamatsui. Uh, but he says, 
Efshar Levar, most times you can clarify it, Shilachain ain't lahachshivzel lasafek, machmas atzelus levar. So here he uses the language again um, that he used that he used by Jelton. He says, let's, but since there's still some capacity of clarifying, it's not really a doubt. Um, right, the actual, but we have to, you know, be nuanced in his language. He says, Kevan should shirov happy amim efshar levar. So maybe. Um, we can say that you know there's a double level of suffix, right? In order for something to be considered Efshar Levarer, it has to be most of the time capable, right? We don't, rec- right? If there's a 10% chance of gaining additional evidence, or t- or a fifth, right? Unless there's a 50% chance, at least, maybe it has to be 51% chance of gaining additional evidence, you don't have to um, bother to uh, to engage in it, right? This, it's because Rove Pamin Eshelavara. We could you know, raise interesting statistical questions. Is there a difference between a 50% chance of evidence that has a 5% chance of changing your mind and a um, you know a 5% chance of obtaining evidence that has a 50% chance of changing your mind? He seems to be here formally saying that the question is what are the uh, what are the uh, the overall odds that you can gain additional clarity? Um, right, let's leave that formulation for now. And he says, in such a case, we view you as being lazy when you don't clarify, right? So we don't, and therefore we don't call it, we don't call it a, um, we don't call it a suffix. He doesn't talk about how difficult it is to clarify or not. Uh, it's interesting to me that he thinks that um, you can generally clarify whether utensils were made in a Jewish factory. I'm not sure uh, what he means. Maybe I guess he thinks you can look up the, you can, I don't know what he, whether he, I, I guess he thinks maybe corporations and then you could look at you could know whether the corporations are majority shareholders. It's an interesting claim um, that uh, just you know, the the reality claim that you can investigate this is not obvious to me. And therefore, he says um, what he thinks is that even though there's yesh makom l'hakel, that you don't have to tovil uh, glass kalim that have some degree of suffix that they were made in a Jewish factory. In practice, you should have to tovel, you should tovel them without a bracha. Um, which he thinks is better than requiring you to investigate, because what do you lose if you're told without a bracha? That's also something that one could uh, conceivably discuss. Um, however, if they're right, if they are um, from a non-Jewish factory, then he thinks that even glass has to be uh, told with a bracha. Right? Issue independent of our issue. Therefore, he says, Kalim that come um, again. This is in Tufshin Laman Aleph. Uh, Kalim that come from Japan or China, where uh, there are no Jews. Uh, that is obviously no longer true if it was true then, but where there are probably not many Jews who own uh, tableware fact, uh, factories. Um, and even he thinks those who come from, from Europe, he thinks that you can be tovel with the bracha because most of them are non-Jews, and he doesn't require further investigation there. Uh, so maybe he thinks you can only it's only easy to investigate kalim that are produced in the United States, but once you get to bringing kalim from abroad, uh, either he thinks the odds that they're Jewish are so low, but he says rove, he doesn't say overwhelming rove, he doesn't say so it might be that he thinks that the um, that, that really investigating things in foreign countries was too much of a bother we could, you know, question whether that is still the case when uh, long distance phone calls are cheap and, and on uh, generally on uh, fixed plans uh, often on fixed plans anyway and you have the internet um, okay, but then, um, and then he says uh, a couple of other interesting things um uh, he says you might think that what matters is not uh, whether it's the factory is owned, but who the workman is, because of the principle uman kone b'shevach kli. But he says, a that doesn't work in factories, and it makes a very interesting claim. We have to explain a different context, because what makes the kli is the machine, 
and not the person. And the people running the machines are considered to be assisting the machines. They're not remaking the pot in the way an Uman did in, um, in Talmudic times. I think there's a second reason, so we shouldn't confuse them, which is that the workers aren't craftsmen who are paid by the piece, they're paid by the hour, and therefore they certainly don't acquire um, the utensils. But it's really interesting to me is the claim that, um, that workers in factories are assistants to the machines. Now, I don't think that he thinks this about matzah in quite the same way, so it's worth investigating uh, what his standards are for when the machine is carrying out the will of the human and when the human is simply assisting the machine and can we distinguish, distinguish between purposes of tevila uh, and purposes of, uh, of um, kavana lishma in the context of matzah and other things. Okay, but for our purposes in the context of Eshelavar, right, the key issue here is that Ravosha makes a reality claim, which may or may not, um, that, um, and he, right, in which he says that, that such, um, that you can clarify, at least in items manufactured in the United States, whether the manufacturer was Jewish or not Jewish, and he introduces this new standard of, since most of the time you can clarify, um, and, right, and that might, um, it, that might introduce leniencies in other areas where even if there is a, you know, a possibility of gaining really uh, important evidence, if the odds of obtaining it are low, uh, we might say, well, then it's a suffix because you're, you're not being lazy. And if it's a real suffix um, and, and, and it would take effort to investigate, um, then, um, then, it's, you know, then there's no uh, formal chiyot to be mevarah.